unwritten rules. There might be something in your mind that you hold to be true or take for granted that probably isn't a universal truth. When commercials, they pour liquid into a glass with ice and it's a fake sound. It's like, (laughs) I'm like, just record real liquid. Like this fake liquid sound with the bubbles kills me. I don't know why, but my brain goes, no, you're lying. You're a liar. (laughs) Y'all are lying. And like, you think this is going to sell more things if you like overproduce this liquid sound, but it's it's so fake to me. What if it is not overproduced? They're just miking it closer than we normally hear it. And that may be it too. Yeah. And I just don't like that sound. Pull the mic back. Pull the mic back, baby. But like every time I'm like, it happens on the radio a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sound. If it is fake, what do you think they're using to make the fake sound? I don't know. I don't know. I hate it, though. Um, And I wish they would stop. (laughs) Hell yeah. These tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am a comedian in Chicago, and I host the show. And I was in a coma seven, eight years ago. Didn't find any answers, and so now I am squeezing them out of my guests. And this week's guest is Jonathan Giuseppe. He is a comedian, and I say he now, but I might say they or she, because... They, she, use all pronouns. So Jonathan is a comedian who's very near and dear to my heart. We had monthly accountability meetings that grew our relationship at a time when they were first diagnosed with cancer. That's right. They have been through cancer twice and are currently cancer-free. I'm very happy to report and have talked to Jonathan So I'm excited for you to hear that conversation. If you enjoy this show and you think it's worth the cost of a nice cup of coffee or a cheap meal every month, you can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr, and donate five or 15 bucks a month. Either way, you get my full conversations with guests and the after shows that I record with Megan Strickland and Claire Favret. And at $15, you get a shout out. So shout out to those Pigeon patrons, Kurt Chang, Katie Llewellyn, Fred Fidawa, Susie Carroll, Shuba Singh, John Lee, and Debo. And yeah, if you're on the Patreon, you are getting to hear about a half hour to maybe an hour of extra interview this week. So know that. And if you're not, that's what those people are getting to listen to in their feeds. Also, If you want to get in touch with the show, if you have an answer for one of the questions that I ask every week, give me a call at 313-MISSED-URA. That's 313-647-8872. I will play your voicemail on the show. I am an independent artist. I rely on word of mouth to have people find out about my shit. So if you would like to help spread the word, leave a review post a review, get creative, do whatever the fuck you want with the review, hit subscribe, tell an actual human friend in life, 
And uh, yeah, if you if you don't like the show, then that's that's you know that's cool. I guess that's your your problem. Why are you why are you still here, man? I you know, great. Okay, relax. If you are hearing noises in the background, I think I'm recording during a during a a not a gap in noises, a, a lapse in noises, a temporary quiet. I'm recording on the Fourth of July, and people are shooting off fireworks. I'm just I'm just gonna leave this here. I'm not gonna make any comment. But I've been reading this book called Anarchism and the Black Revolution by Lorenzo Camboa Irvin, who is a kind of OG. Black radical anarchist, uh, starting back in the 70s. And here is the quote. I am not here to save America or anarchism as a white radical movement. I am one of the grave diggers of capitalism, of which there are millions more born and fighting each day. I'm one of the grave diggers of capitalism, of which there are millions more born and fighting each day. So, grave diggers of capitalism, I hope you enjoy my conversation here with Jonathan Giuseppe. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like I would like you to paint your hell. A custom hell designed for Jonathan Giuseppe. I think I I've lived it. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Um like when I was working at the bank, um like uh I worked with some pretty, uh, there were a couple people that were really toxic and I was trapped with them for eight hours a day. And, um, and then also like there was the system, like any form of creativity was squashed. Um, and it was like, it was really a paranoid, um, place to work because, uh, people get really, really weird around money. Um, like I couldn't even like do a, I would sometimes just like want to like kind of feel myself do a little dance in front of the teller drawer. Yeah. And like a lot, like people would get freaked out. Like, like you cannot do anything silly in front of money. Like you, you, you know, and I was like, nobody's even in here. Like, it's going to be okay. Um, and there was one guy who was just like a bully. Um, and it, it sucked working with him. And I found myself at, at the bank, um, Googling the phrase, I think I want to kill myself. <laughs> and just like trying to read blogs, you know, like um, whatever. And it was like, this is really, I need to get a new job. This so, <laughs> so this was a like, while ago. My hell. Yeah. That was like in 2010, you know, that was 10 oh, okay. years okay. ago. Um, and uh, because when you say I lived through it, my first thought is like, oh, well, so maybe cancer. It's like, no, I I would rather have cancer than work at this bank again. Oh, for sure. Because like <laughs> cancer is cancer is like not like doesn't to me feel personal at all. And like mm. like that or cancer doesn't even feel oppressive, but like working at a bank, like and it doesn't really affect my soul. Like I actually I actually think cancer, I mean, I say it in cancer is gorgeous, like I I thank cancer because it kind of finally gave me the, um, the strength, the confidence. And I realized like, Oh, like I'm going to really going to die someday. So like, let's come out, you know, let's like try and be ourselves in this life. So like, I actually 
thank cancer for yeah. a lot. I'm kind of grateful to it, but I, I'm not grateful to the, the bank was like trying to kill me, kill my soul. Yeah. My spirit, you know? And so, yeah, that's it. totally, totally worse. So what do you hope happens when you die? Um, I thought like there are three things, I guess that are like, I think might happen and I would be okay with any one of them. This is a fan. One of them is a total fantasy and I know it doesn't going to happen, but I hope it is Okay. like, um, my, uh, mother-in-law, she always says like, you can smoke cigarettes in heaven. And I'm like, that's how she keeps herself from smoking. Um, <laughs> she's like, I'll just like smoke nonstop in heaven and there's no consequences. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I love that. Like I, w- I would love a heaven where like I'm smoking cigarettes and I'm drinking martinis and like, there are no consequences. And it's just like kind of heaven, you know, maybe I'm on a beach that kind of like really relaxed heaven. Yeah. Um, Two, um, have you ever gone down like um, a reincarnation wormhole on YouTube? Uh, not on YouTube, but depends on the type of wormhole, possibly. Like there are some really, and who knows if they're true or not, but they just tickle tickle me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is like fun, fun mm-hmm. to like, you know, I would just, um, I'd be up late at night and go down some, but like there's fun, like, you know, a kid who's born and he knows all of these specifics about right, right, right. somebody that there's no way he could know or she could know mm-hmm. um, or they could know. But um, yeah. So like reincarnation, I would, that, that seems pretty cool. Like I would um, like that. In um, what way? What would you, what would, how would you like your reincarnation to go? Like, would you, what would you like to be reincarnated into? Oh, um, I guess like just to like, I would like to be reincarnated into like, uh, this is like maybe sad, but just like a family that had less trauma, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so another human being. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. and also like, I could be reincarnated into, um, like, I don't think humans is the top like yeah. i would love to be a turtle i would love to be an otter i would love to be a little dolphin swimming with my friends um i think that is much a more much more relaxing life than uh, being a human so like mm-hmm. i would totally i would love that actually um just be a little little otter hanging out with my otter friends okay there's a thread running to running through these first two, and I'm curious if it reappears in the third one. So the the third one is like when I was really, um, you know, times were really hard during cancer. I would like, uh, and like, you know, I was doing traumatic things. Like I was awake for one of my port surgeries. Like um, Jesus, well, on purpose? Like you had to be? Yeah, it was just like, like they didn't want to pay for like the anesthesiologist, so like they just numbed it and put a blue thing over my face to like 
I had to like learn meditation techniques so that I don't disassociate. So it's not traumatic. Okay. So I, I would do, um, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, meditation, uh, breathing meditation. And, um, he's all about, uh, no birth, no death. Um, the idea of like his like metaphor is like, he looks at a cloud and like, there's no birth certificate for the cloud and there's no death certificate. You know, it's like, it's a cloud, but it's always, it's just changing. There's no death, you know? Um, so like, I think what it, what I probably think happens when you die or like what I would be totally fine with is just like, I just become, I just change and I, there's no consciousness, human consciousness, but I'm just like, I just want, I would, I would love to just be a wave in the ocean that doesn't even know it's a wave. Like, I don't want, like, like I'm just like energy and like, there's nothing left of my consciousness. And I think that's probably what happens. And I'm like, totally fine with that. <laughs> like, so it seems kind of nice. You almost, it almost didn't reappear, but it mm. did. And the thread was water. Oh. You had beach in the first one. Mm-hmm. Most of the animals you mentioned were turtle, otter, dolphin, water animals. Yeah. And you got to the wave metaphor of the ocean at the end. Is there some – what is that how – do, how does that feel when I bring that up? Well, like um, when – my initial ending to cancer is gorgeous. Yeah. Because I just wanted to end the show. Like my last lines are like, I love and accept you exactly as you are. Commit to loving and accepting you fully to the best of my abilities. Um, I love you, Budger, which is my mom's nickname for me. And then I just wanted to end the show with um, the sound of flowing water. Um, and I don't really know why, <laughs> why, uh, but like, I think there's, there's something like about the presence, just listening to water is, um, is makes you present. Cause I wanted to, I wanted, and I end the show by saying like, life is so uh, overwhelming. Um, and if I can leave you with anything, I want it to be a calm resting place. And, um, and then I was like, like a calm resting place would be just listening. Like I wanted them, I wanted the audience just to like look at that 15 foot cherry blossom tree and just hear flowing water and like, just feel presence. Like that, that was my goal. Um, and, uh, um, I just wanted them to like sit there. Um, and, um, you know, yeah. So maybe that's it. <laughs> In my second one-man show, there's there's a uh, I tell everyone that we're in the afterlife and one feature of the afterlife is that you get to fully drop down into and relive one memory as if it's a room that you can pop into and out of whenever you want but you have to pick one. If that were the case, what memory would you choose to relive? I'd probably do my wedding day. Okay. Uh, 
because it was it was the only it was so joyous and i was literally filled with bliss like i was high as fuck and i hadn't taken any drugs like totally blissed out um it was crazy um i would probably do my um my wedding day again that's funny because so many people describe their wedding day as stressful for them and it being about other people. But it was for you as rewarding as it feels like it's supposed to be. Yeah. And, and Katie and I kind of organized it like that so that it was just like, uh, we just did what we wanted to do. You know, there's a, there, it's just your party, you know? And so you can organize it. However, like someone was like, what are your wedding colors themes? And we were like, what? Like, yeah. we're like, I don't even want to fuck with that. Like, uh, we don't do that. Like, yeah. we're just having like, air. Like, I, I'm not even going to worry about that. What? And um, so we just like put wildflowers on all the tables and um, had a mismatch of chairs. And like, it was just exactly what we focused our attention on what we wanted. Uh, Which was what? We wanted everybody to feel comfortable. And, um, and like, when we we want also wanted people to be fed immediately. So like right when you walked in, you got a fucking um, appetizer and you got a beer or a cocktail. Like, because like a lot of weddings, you've been getting ready all day and you're hungry, but then you have to sit through this fucking ceremony. That's going to wow. take an hour and a so half before the ceremony, even before the ceremony, we gave people food yes. and it was really comfortable. Cause we knew we had been to weddings. We were like, you're like, really hot you're really hungry and um we were like we don't want to do that to people so we we said immediately give people food and that was awesome i love that so smooth and then what was the venue it was odoro gallery which is um a classic car it was an old classic car um uh like gallery but they don't do that anymore so it was just this big room Okay. They, they turned it into a brewery next door. In uh, Texas? In Illinois? Even in Chicago, yeah. Okay. It's like downtown, yeah. Okay. And um, also, like, I was an emotional wreck declaring my love to Katie. Like, I couldn't even think about my vows because I would start crying. So I was like, just don't read them before. But then but I you had like, written them. Totally written them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, don't even, I couldn't even think about them though. And so like when I started, saw her walking down the aisle, I was like, started crying. Like it was, it was so much emotion that poured out of me. Um, and uh, I don't know, there is something about declaring your love publicly that is really powerful. I mean, that's why I, say my vows and cancer is gorgeous. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's like really powerful. How does that feel when you're like, like, do you, how do you feel about putting your vows in that show? I would, I would, I would question myself about the like privacy of it. If I were, if I were, I'm, it's hard not to, it's hard to say what I'm saying without implying judgment. I swear I am not implying judgment. 
but I'm genuinely wondering what your thought process was because the thought process I would have would be, am I selling out this private thing by putting it in this show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Diamond and I, before we wrote the show, I mean, I came up with the idea while I was getting chemo and I said, if I ever do a show about this, I want it to be um, an expression, every element to be an expression of love or a celebration of life. So like when I'm writing this story about Katie, like it just beginning, middle and end, how we met to us getting married feels like a natural climax. Right. And it's like, how do you like, (laughs) and also there's no more bigger expression of love than the one I did. It's like, you, you have to like, why not use your life? It's the, if it's the most powerful thing, like what, why worry about being a, a sellout to who too? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. Totally. Like, it's like, and it's also, if someone in the audience is like, Oh my, like is rolling their eyes at, at my expression of love, then like, then maybe this show is not for them, you know, like, <laughs> you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> like, worries. Yeah, like like if you don't like love, then um, then don't come to a, a show called Cancer is Gorgeous. You know, yeah. Like if I if I miss those people, I'm willing to miss and not look like cool for those people. If I can get the people who want who want to hear that shit. Um, but Katie wasn't like, oh, that was kind of our like private uh, private thing. I I don't want to share with everybody. No, no, she's she's um she's cool um like that and like she yeah yeah but she, but also for katie like people would come up to me like oh my god like i want to meet katie it's like yeah. it's just like all about this you know this love story and katie's right. like i'm just a person and like for katie it's not like she's lived it so it's not like this like epic story of love it's like she's just like yeah we're married and you know <laughs> i love you to death yeah. But like, it's not as big of a, it's not that big of a deal. Not, not that it's not a big deal, but like, it's just all the drama is happening inside you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, She's like, yeah. oh, that's, that's Jonathan. We're sitting on the couch and like inside you, you've got the fireworks going off and you're like, ah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, but, and I explained too that she felt it too. Like that's how we got engaged. I mean, our engagement story is crazy. It's like, she was on, I remember I, I tell the story like, two weeks into dating, she was just like on top of me in bed and she like tears rolled down her eyes and she was like, I think I'm falling in love with you. And I was like, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was intense for her too. It wasn't just me, you know? Um, No, of course. And I didn't mean to imply that it was. Yeah. 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 No. Um, Okay. So what, so I am like a more intense person emotionally. Sure. Then, you know, so I, yeah. Yeah. What else? The wedding give me the other aspects that contribute to it. it. It sounds like it's a lot about, I mean, talk about being intense. It's a lot about reliving the intensity of this heightened experience. Yeah. I guess like that's, you know, that's a, uh, my brain probably went to like that because it's the most emotionally like blissful thing, but like also, you know, in my vows, like I talk, I say like, you know, there was a day where we just, it was so hot in our apartment and we were like in our underwear and 
we went and got these Italian sandwiches and we watched RuPaul's Drag Race and like nothing special had to happen because it's just like being with her is already the thing that is so special. So like it, I could li- relive the day where we just got sandwiches, you know, and like, and just watch TV and that would be pretty dope. Like I'm really, I would be really happy with that too. You know? Yeah. What other aspects of the wedding day stick out to you? Or are there just elements of the wedding that you want to brag about that you're like, we also did this? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, Peter Kim did the ceremony. Like mm-hmm. he married us. And his um, speech was really, really funny. Um, he was like really great, and, but really also really heartfelt. But um, he fucking nailed it. Um, and I was, uh, so it was great to kind of, uh, I think we picked the perfect person because Peter knows me really well and he's known Katie since San Francisco. So he's known Katie much, mm. much longer than me. So like they've been good friends for a long time. Oh, wow. And Peter just had directed me and Grief is Horny. So we got really close. Um, so he was like the perfect person to kind of like um, wed us. Okay. So the right person. The right person. Yeah. And I, and at first I was like, oh, we'll just like marry ourselves. Like, let's whatever. But like, I can't like say enough. Like the wedding day is so much. Give as much responsibility to everybody else so that you can just be there in the moment and everybody else is sort of carrying the weight. So like, cause it's, at least for me, it was so much, so emotional for me um, that I, I couldn't have like, gathered everybody right and done my vows like everyone it's time to uh for table eight to go get their uh to go get their meals table eight yeah you're just like trying to say your vows and eat and drink and dance and that's all you want to do yeah what about wait when was this was the and and where was this in you had you come out no okay no but I, i i had been painting my face and Katie's like so amazing. She was always supportive. Like she bought me my first contour palette. She bought me like mm. makeup. Like she was always very supportive. And so when I came out, maybe it was an adjustment for her, but she wasn't like she didn't need, you know, she was just super supportive, you know. Super, super, super lucky. What's your coma? And by that, I mean a moment of transformation where before you were one version of yourself and after you were another. And I don't mean to imply that just because my coma, one of mine, was an actual month-long coma, I don't mean to imply that it needs to be that grandiose. Yeah. But what is, what is a moment like that for you? Well, de- definitely after cancer the first time and like, you know, deciding to come out was changed a lot for me. Um, you know, uh, that, I would say that was my, my kind of coma, my moment of like, like transformation into like self-acceptance and, um, and also just like going again, like 
there is a reason I waited till I was 32 because you are, you know, being out and being yourself is wonderful, but it also sucks ass because the world is, it, you're going up against forces, you know, and it, it makes it hard. Um, but I guess I decided like the kind of pain of not being myself was, was so much and I was willing to risk a lot to uh, live my truth. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was it. That was so you moment. got cancer. This is when you were, weren't you like driving Lyft or something? And you, and this thing in your leg, you were like, oh, maybe it's because I'm driving Lyft too much or something? Yeah, I thought it was a muscle I had grown from hitting the gas and brake. Like, <laughs> right. stupid, you know? And like literally this 12 year old girl at the school, cause I would work as a after school teacher, but also I would do Uber and Lyft on the weekends, you know, to yeah. make money. and um, she would like fist bump the lump on my, on my leg. And then her mom is a surgeon and she went, she came home, she came into me one day, like came into school one day and she was like, so I talked to my mom and I was like, yeah, she's like, she said new muscles don't just grow. And I was like, <laughs> okay and i was like so are you saying this is a tumor and she was like yeah you're gonna need to go get that checked out and i was like okay and so how like, old was this girl so this 12 year old girl named penelope Amazing. diagnosed me with cancer basically damn good on her yeah she was she was she was really funny she was really great so without having you have to rehash the cancer is gorgeous show you get this tumor you get what, because you had chemo a little bit first and then you had the surgery and they cut it out, right? Yeah, chemo and radiation, yeah. Okay, right, 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 right. Um, and, but then they basically cut it off and for a while you were cancer-free, yes? I was cancer-free, yeah. 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 And then, so when it came back recently, was it, what did they call it? Was it, med- was it, did it mis- metastasize? What was the like? Yeah, they called it stage four. And that kind of scared me because I was Jesus. like, oh, that's the real deal. There's and not, was, yeah. I know what stage five is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah, there's no stage five. And so like it was, it was scary. And also um, I couldn't breathe. Like, and it was right when the pandemic happened. So I was like, shit, do I have COVID? Oh, so like, wow. I just didn't know. And it was this huge, and it was, there's so much, it ended up the general practitioner sent me to get an x-ray and it just showed all this fluid in my um, chest wall. And so like basically what was happening is there was so much fluid around the lung. It was like somebody putting their hands around um, uh, air, like a balloon and you can't blow that balloon up with all the pressure around it. Whoa. So, that, so I just couldn't breathe. And I, you know, pretty, I could feel my, body just like shutting down like i was pretty it was the closest i've ever felt like oh this is like kind of what it feels like when you die like you i could just feel the energy sort of draining from my body yeah but it was the cancer from the leg that had moved up yeah or reappeared there or whatever yeah 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 which with sarcoma it usually takes place in your limbs and then very often it travels to your left lung i don't know why oh so it actually wasn't in my left lung. It was in my chest wall, huh. um, but it was really close to my heart. And it was, 
it had collapsed the left lung. So, Jesus. and so, you know, I did a year of treatment, but then it started to grow again and it was compressing my pulmonary artery, which was really scary. And they're like, okay, we got to do a surgery to like get this out because now we're screwing, like your heart starts working, you're, you're done, you know? Right. Right. So it's pretty, in, it was pretty intense. But, all, but what's so interesting is that this coming out moment happens after the first, I know this is, I know from being diabetic and having people go, oh, type one, that's the bad one, right? And it's like, they're both, every, it's all bad, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. So, but th- so I imagine there is a, there's the bad time you had cancer and then there's the good time. And this was after the good, the relatively more straightforward, less life-threatening time that you came out. Totally. Yeah, this in the first time it was like, oh my God, like cancer told me about myself. Like I came out, it gave me the strength to come out. But like this cancer was just like, you know, wanted to kill me. Like there was no, I was trying, I was looking for silver linings on this cancer, but it was just like, I even talked to my therapist. I was like, I think this, I was like, what's the lesson in here? Right. And I was like, whew, it was hard to like it. And I was Part of it was like learning how to suffer. Um, what do you know, mean? Like to stop resisting um, and like, just like, like I had to really, I don't like meditate now to like, because I want to become enlightened. It's because I'm like, like I had to develop tools, you know, like to make my suffering less so like I'm, I'm resisting less so that I'd suffer less like because like there was two week there was two week stents where I would get a bag of chemo and like that two weeks is fucking rough and if you're not surrendered to this it's you're gonna make your life even worse so like you I would have to like just surrender like I would have to practice surrendering you know and it's like hard work and and I would you know, and my body was really uncomfortable. So like I would do meditations to see where in my body I could relax because you, you, you go into like, you tense up, you know, you're in defense. Like body scan kind of stuff. Yeah. Like body scan stuff. Yeah. Um, and just like relaxing, you know, like, so, you know, cause when you're tense, also your immune system is, doesn't work as well. So like, yeah, I just had to like do that. So like, that was the lesson. I don't know. I actually haven't talked about this with anybody publicly, but like, um, like a month into treatment, my mom called and she was, she had been hallucinating for like, uh, six months, but she was afraid to tell anybody, but she said she had Parkinson's. And Parkinson's can turn into Parkinson's hallucinations. So like, I was really scared. So I had to take off treatment for uh, two weeks. Cause I was like, mom, I just like need to be with you. You know, like I could, she was making like meals because she saw these people in her house. And so she would, you know, being the sweet lady she is, she would make a dinner for them. And, oh. and I was like, mom, I need to like be with you. Like I, it, it killed me that she was at her house by herself. So I took off treatment and went with her, went to be with her and like 
get her um, in-home care and uh, um, go to the doctor with her, like to try and get her on antipsychotics. But it, it turned out, and she was really anxious, you know, like it was a really heavy time. Um, and I had to hold a lot of weight because I was holding the weight of my diagnosis, but also my mom was really scared. Of course, you know, right. she's hallucinating, you know, she thinks these people are real, but she knew that she would have moments of clarity where she knew she had just been hallucinating sometimes. Yeah. But she was lo- quickly losing insight. Wow. So she just, and it caused her a lot of pain because the hallucinations don't talk back. They're just there. So like, if you talk to them, like, can you imagine like, this is a nightmare. Like, like you're talking to a hallucination and it looks like a human, but then it just doesn't talk back. And you're like, can you please, like, she'd be like, can you please leave? Like, I need to go to sleep. Um, but she was losing insight. So it turned into um, Parkinson's dementia Whoa. very quickly. Um, so, so I was doing like daily meditations with her because she was having, uh, you know, panic attacks, of course, because her world is, changing rapidly mm-hmm. um and so i would just try and at least like start her on a calm on a calm note but it was very intense and so yeah that was just like this so this round of cancer was not only a harder cancer but also my i was dealing with um trying to help my mom so it was definitely a much harder round and I was having to do a lot of work to see silver linings uh, this time, a lot of work. That's so interesting because it implies, I enjoy when I learn more about what I'm really asking with the questions from Mm -hmm. a guest and what you're kind of implying is that these moments can't really be transformational moments if it's not clear what the transformation is. So like that makes sense that you're, even though we've spent so much time, probably more time talking about this second round of cancer. I don't know what sure. word you round of cancer yeah, yeah. you use, but uh is that the first one is the coma because it's got a a bit of a cleaner arc to it. Yeah. This one's messier. It's um, it's not, and it's also like the arc was, I'm also time does a lot of things too. So like, maybe I just can't see the arc. We're having a conversation now. So like, Maybe if we had it in a couple of years, I'll see like the arc. Um, but yeah, this one's not as pretty. This one's not as like, it's, it's just a hot, you know, it's harder, <laughs> yeah. you know, but also there is, you know, the, this will pass is it's true too. Like I went to see my mom recently and like, she's gotten more demented, but it's actually, helped really yeah like her anxiety is like not there like she's not like because she would be like <laughs> like panicking because like right. she, or think she's going through so much like her legs would be cramping from the parkinson's but then 
she would be panicking and it would like, she didn't know how to like calm herself. So that's why I would do those meditations, you know, but now like she's a little bit more demented and there's no, the insight is totally gone and she's just hallucinating like 24 seven. Um, but she's so she's accepting now of them. So she'll walk into a room. She'll be like, Hey guys, how's it going? Um, and she's seen people, but it's not like, she's not like leave the fucking house. Yeah. You know? So there, there's not the anxiety there. So I just laid next to her and we watched TV and um, it was peaceful, you know, like in that. Did she recognize moment. you still? Yeah. Like her dementia, maybe at this stage doesn't, um, she totally recognizes everybody. She um, uh, has long-term memory. She remembers all of her friends. It's just like disorganized thinking. Mm. And like her executive functioning is just like not really there. Like she'll like always throw stuff away and like she'll put stuff in odd places in her room. Mm. She's always losing her phone. Um, but like the same, you know, the same person's there and like, um, so yeah, it's her memory is not really gone, but she will sometimes think that my dad's still alive or she'll think that she'll sometimes think that we're dad is my dad's coming to pick her up and she's like, where is he? Like stuff like that, you know? Yeah. But but the, the silver lining too, I think is there a little bit. It's like, you know we've gotten to a more calm place, you know? Um, and it's just a really, really hard thing to accept. And I think that's the, that's the, and it was hard for her to accept. Uh, but like once you do, then you're like, this is just my new reality. And like, that is where the adaptability is good, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was like, this round was this round of cancer treatment was I was like, Lord, I need you to pump the fucking brakes. Cause it was like, yeah. it was like the beginning of the pandemic. I just right. been diagnosed with cancer and my mom is, uh, yeah, fuck. is doing this. And like, so I drove back to Texas and like, I wasn't even going into gas stations. I was peeing in like, you know, McDonald's cups and throwing them, pulling over and throwing it out the window. Yeah. Um, it was just like, it was a little, a little bit of like a wild time. And I really haven't, like, I have some store stories from then. Um, and like my mom had a hard time with me coming out, like, mm-hmm. but like we had a really great talk when I was there and taking care of her. And she was like, I think maybe she knew this might be the, one of the last times, like we really get to connect where she's fully there. Yeah. And so like she said some really sweet things. Cause like before this, it was just really hard for her. Um, she'd be like, don't wear your fancy clothes home. That's what she called <laughs> like, my new wardrobe. Like, you know, she, uh, she's like, don't be too flamboyant. Um, <laughs> but I was laying with her and um, she just said like, uh, she's like, you know, when you have your lipstick on and your makeup, she's like, you really do look like a grandma. And she, uh, 
you know, she's like, she really was gorgeous, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, I think I can die now. You know? Yeah. yeah. It was like, um, a really sweet thing to say. I don't think she'll ever, she'll still be uncomfortable with it, but she, yeah. I'm, I'm never going to have one of those moms that goes to the pride parade and is like, I love my queers, your child. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But she came as far as she could. And I really, it was nice. Um, so did, good things have happened. In the, the transformation of, of being out, you know, after this first time, did that at all relate to the way you handled cancer the second time? Was it, did it make it easier? Did it make it harder? Did it make it something else? Yeah, I think it was, even though the stakes were really high, like, I mean, doing the two week stint of chemo was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life by far. Um, but also like, so all this bad stuff happened, but like, also like my family would always be like really hard on me because I haven't um, like made money doing my career. <laughs> yeah. And they would always be filled with a lot of fear. And finally my mom said, she goes, I can just, she goes, I can just see um, that you found peace. And I said, yeah, like, because I would tell her, like, I was like, you know, I was like, mom, she want me to be a pharmaceutical rep or whatever. And I was like, mom, like, you don't have to worry about me. Like, I've already won, you know, like, it's, I'm okay. And she's, and she goes, I can see that. She's like, I see that you've, you've, uh, you've found peace. So that shifted that, that um, external pressure, I think, because my mom was dealing with so much, she had to like, trust that I'm okay, you know, and I was like, having to, I was taking care of her. Um, so that was, that was good. Um, but it was harder. Um, but I did have better tools this time. Like I, I knew I was going to need a trauma therapist. I knew I was going to need, I dedicated myself to like having a meditation practice. Like I set up all my pillars, you know, I was on antidepressants, like so it was, it was harder, um, but I, I was better prepared. Um, I wasn't as scared of the surgery. I'd already been in surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, like I, I love life and everything like, but also like, uh, I'm, I've, I've like done so many great things like that. I, you know. I've married the love of my life. I've like created the art that I want to like, I am at this point, like if I die, yes, it would be sad, but like, I'm, I, I'm accepting like, you, you know, um, it's okay <laughs> if I die. Like, well, when the big fact of your life is your work, a calling, that has yet to be actualized when when you are an unsuccessful blank type of artist you know in unsuccessful in quotes that leaves 
first of all, it's so out of your control. You can never just like manifest success as an artist, really. But if one of the great facts of your life is being in the closet as a queer person, uh, despite great risks, it sounds like that is in your control and something that you can give yourself not closure on, but fulfill within yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, that you feel a sense of like, I feel a sense of like ease now, you know, like that I didn't have. Um, so like, yeah, like I just, I think that's why my mom was like, I can see you found peace, you know? Yeah. Because my sister was trying to tell the family when they were freaking out, like, I've never seen Jonathan more. He's been, you know, riddled with anxiety um, for their whole life. And like, they, you know, they just seem at peace. Um, so all they were so worried, you know, about me. But Ju- my sister, Julie, who's fucking amazing and kind of like has always been supportive and is kind of like, you know, one of my soulmates. She was just telling everybody like, Jonathan's fine. Like, this is actually a really good thing. Jonathan used to call me with intense anxiety that could not be quelled. And that is just not there anymore. Um, Even the way I speak is slower. It's not as rushed. Like it's manifested in so many ways. Um, Have you ever read, uh, um, uh, what is it called? Are you my mother? By, uh, it's like the, the kangaroo or something at the zoo, like some animal. No, there is, there is an "Are You My Mother?" Yeah, like that. But um, this one's a comic by Alison Brechtel. Okay, and um, it's you know Fun Home. The I know of it. I've never read it or seen the play. So it's like the second. Okay, big, it's like another one. Maybe it's not the second. But um, she talks about it's like a comic about their life, but also about psychology. And it's, there's interesting um, excerpts from different psychologists in there because she's trying to still, although it's about her mother, she's also still trying to understand her father's passing because her father uh, killed himself. Mm. And there's this interesting um, excerpt in there because I, not that, um, like when I was in the closet, I had intense anxiety and also, I'll do like a trigger warning here for anybody. Like I had like suicidal ideation a little bit. Like I'd just be walking to work and it would be like, you should call yourself. You should, you know, um, <laughs> like it would be like 50 times before I got to work. And I was like, I, you know, w- wish that wasn't a thing. Um, You're like, but, I'm going to Google this and then I'll be done for the day. Yeah. Like I'll go to the, get my job back at the bank and I'll Google it. That's how I'll heal myself. Yeah. Um, I'll find it in some chat room. Um, but uh she has this interesting excerpt that makes so much sense. And when I read it, I was like, Oh fuck, that's what's happening to me. That's why this is happening. And there's this like psychologist. Um, I forget his name. It's like something Winnicott, um, Alfred Winnicott. And he talks about the authentic self and the false self. And he says, the false self is there to protect the true self from insult. So, Um, If the false self perceives that you can't 
you're, you're because of your circumstances or, or whatever, you can't be yourself in life. It will make plans for your destruction um, because it's trying to protect your authentic self from insult. So it, it understands like we're going to shut down the whole system, but it's because it's causing your true self so much pain. Wow. Um, and so I, I read that and I was like, oh, interesting. And it also gave me a lot of self-love because I was like, oh, like this thing that's like giving me pain is actually like trying, my false self is like trying to protect me, you know, like I, I, I it gave me like self-compassion. So the false self was the anxiety and the true self was your identity as non-binary. Yes. Okay. Yes. And when I, when I was writing Cancer is Gorgeous, I realized like, like um, love feels relaxing, you know, real love, like mm-hmm. in, even in your body, yeah, you're relaxed, you know, and that, you're coming all the time because you're coming so hard and it's so fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, like um, tension, you know, some people have said like tension is who you think you're, uh, relaxation is who you are and tension is who you think you're supposed to be. Whoa. I've never heard that. That is, oh, yeah. whoa, that's a good one. It's very good. Yeah. And there's like a, there's like a Zen saying of like knowing yourself is simply being yourself, which sounds so simple, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's just like being yourself. Like, <laughs> you know, like, right. Um, like it's so easy, but it's hard to just be yourself because there are all these societal rules. Like you can't just, you can just do it, but it's very hard to just be. That is the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to Jonathan for doing the show. Best of luck, best health and love and you know, and light, love and light, thoughts and prayers. They're getting people through so well these days. So sending them all to Jonathan right now. And actual, genuine, um, good thoughts and feelings and, and money at the same time. Anyway, if you want to support this show with money, go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. And that is what I've got for you this week. Until next week, remember, you are a mist only human and human beings they do miracles